Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 115 with our guest, Christine Blackburn. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today uh, lives a non-traditional life that has led her down the path of being a flight attendant, then joining the Peace Corps, and then getting the shock of her life when she was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, and to celebrate her 50th birthday, she decided to publicly chronicle her gift to herself, which was riding on the back of a Harley, completely naked. She writes all about it and shows it in her articles on Huffington Post, where she's a regular contributor. And today, as a producer, host, and skilled interviewer, Christine Blackburn and her production company, Story Worthy Media, have produced over 568 episodes of her weekly show, Story Worthy, and dozens of live performances of her game show, Story Smash, the storytelling game show. She hosted Ready for the Weekend movies on USA Network for two years, performs storytelling all over Los Angeles, and has appeared in over 100 commercials. Fascinated I am. Help me welcome our guest, Christine Blackburn. How are you, Christine? Hi, Josh. <laughs> Yay. Um, applause, right? You're certainly a performer in every regard. Uh, let's talk about that. Um, are, the, are, are the applause uh, important? Is that what we do it for? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah? You like yeah, the applause. It's free, you know, why not? Yeah. And I, I, I certainly bring this up because I spent uh, 15 years in New York as an actor, filmmaker, pursuing that career. I get it. I understand it. I love that path. Um, personally, I was doing it for the external approval and validation. And you know how, how much of a struggle it is. If that's what you're looking who, for. Who are, you, who are you trying to get validation from? Well, any audience person I could, right? That's why I was putting my- your dad or your mom? I mean, it obviously goes back to childhood. Exactly. Exactly. Who was 
Well, I wasn't getting any uh, validation and uh, I wore the label that um, nobody wants me around and I'm not capable. So I took that with me into the world and looked for others in the public to say, applaud me, tell me I'm valid. But where were your parents when you were growing up? What was your family life? Well, my father was a, um, we call him a drinker. Uh, right, an alcoholic at the time. Thankfully, he's recovered over three decades today. But growing up, yeah. I mean, that he recovered, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, in my formative years, yeah, exactly. He was a uh, he, so he wasn't around, and I'm the youngest of three sons. My mom tried to do her best, but she wanted a daughter, and here I was, the third son of hers. And she's like, "I'm not doing this alone. I'm not doing it." So couldn't find my way. That's fascinating. And so um, how about your older brothers? Are you close with them? Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's tricky. No, it's tricky. I totally understand. Cause I'm the youngest yeah. of six and uh, youngest the, of six. And yeah. And I am the uh, fifth girl and I know for a fact, my parents wanted a boy. In fact, my, my father called me Christopher his whole life. Oh, stop it. And my mother got me, had me circumcised. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> no, but my, my dad did call me Christopher. Seriously. They wanted a boy, man. And, and how did that land with you? Well, I have probably more testosterone than a lot of girls because I do. I'm very athletic and I play a lot of tennis and stuff. So I, I might have like some, you know, more male. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But I mean, in terms of physiologically, that's how it played out. But no, I know what you're saying. I yeah. could have been on fire and I would not have gotten any attention. So it was... Uh, Mm. You know, really uh, also very difficult. And I'm the same as you. It's just, it's yeah. the same story and it's not an uncommon story. You'll find that the youngest child in the family is often the one that goes into show business, you know, yeah. the one setting themselves up for rejection, the one that has to prove over and over again their self-worth. Yeah. But the good news is, is that usually it works and you do feel better about yourself and you find your tribe. Do you know what I mean? I've gotten there, yeah. You find your tribe of people. I'm sure you still have a lot of friends in New York, yeah? Oh, yeah. Of course. The ones that uh, are the performers, are the entertainers, are the creatives. Do you go see them? What's up? you go see them? On occasion. I, um, I, I, I set up shop in Jersey raising a family, but I love New York. I'll, get, I'll, I'll take any excuse to get up there. and the kids yeah. there? Um, not as much. I mean, I have a six-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son, but I, I want to expose them. They've been to some Broadway shows, but not, not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those are sweet, sweet ages of children. They're very special years. As you know, they're important years Mm -hmm. and you've got to be there. So that's the other thing that as survivors we're able to do is make it better for our kids. Do you know what I mean? Like as a parent, you either repeat what your parents did or you make reparation and make it better. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. Finally. Yes. Uh, I realized since they've been born early on, I realized that, oh, I see what's happening here. I'm the child in this relationship. And I acknowledge that. And I said, you know what? You guys are everything that I wish I would have been as a child. You're confident, strong, playful, yeah. energetic, loving, yeah. considerate, all that. And I said, I'm, I'm just going to get out of your way. I can't be this angry, miserable, depressed, sad, insecure, 
needy seeking approval father. I'm not going to be that person when you guys are going to watch model yourself after me. I said, I'm better than this, this environment. And I'm just going to go over here. You guys continue what you're doing. I will parent. I will father. I will love the best I can. I'm going to be over here getting myself better. And finally, that's what I was able to do slowly, but surely. Wow. Congratulations. Your wife must be very proud of you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Is she a really special person or tell me? Um, yeah, I guess that that's the goal, right? You would hope that, um, you would find someone who loves and supports you and, uh, takes you through that journey. And the more I realize it, yes, the more she is special because, uh, you know, I can kick and scream and see the flaws as I want, but really she's been by my side. She put up with, I've, I've been with that's her for, the bottom uh, line. yeah, it's like, damn. it's the end game and sticking yeah. it through and all the other stuff, the romance and all that, you can make that happen. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah. And, and it's. Happen. And it's still there, which is a telltale yeah. sign. And I'm like, you know, I can't get frustrated at her for, for things or little things because look what she has, quote unquote, put up with. Look, sure. look how she's allowed me to flourish. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. Yeah. And the good news is you, are, you can take her, you can take the kids on impromptu trips to New York. You can support your friends in New York. So that's a great life you're living out there. Yeah, by design, finally, right? Good on you, man. Good on yeah. you. It's hard. Yeah, life is tough. Thank you. So your your whole your much of your life, especially today, revolves around the idea of storytelling, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's start with um, your fifty. If I may, real quick. Sure. Look how much more we all know. I bet your audience is blown away right now and know more knows more about you than maybe they ever did. I mean, because you told a really compelling story right there. Oh, yeah. And you went through a roller coaster of emotions and you started at one place, kind of angry for a second. And then you ended up in this place of like, hmm, look at that. I did this. I went through these steps and I, I am okay. So look at that. Boom. And so we saw you take a little journey and now we get it. Like, I get it. I get the whole thing. How do, how do the people listening, because we always hear as entrepreneurs and creatives and business people that you got to you gotta share your story. You got to find your story. You got to tell your story. Where, where does somebody who may not be in that world, but acknowledges that that's an important piece, where can they begin to get that going? Well, there's a couple different avenues, and it depends on the kind of story you want to tell. It depends on whether you know, who you're telling the story to, your audience. It depends on so many different things. But let's just say we wanted a basic genre story like you just told me about your childhood. You know what I mean? What it would be would you think about it in your head, right? And then, you know, either put it on a, on a, a tape recorder so you don't have to write it all out or... Or just tell a friend sitting. In fact, even better is just tell somebody sitting across from you. You know, basically what you just told me, kind of an origin story, but show it in the way of what was the pain of it? What was the problem? I don't want to hear that you had a fireman father and a nurse mom and you grew up on a farm and your sister bought horses or something. Like, I want to hear the nitty gritty. What's the problem? Why are, because everybody kind of came from something, everybody, you know, even if I was talking to, you know, um, a really wealthy person, there's things, right? So even if you're talking to, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, everybody goes through their thing. So that makes it compelling and, and it shows a truth, it shows a vulnerability and it shows maybe a flaw, not a flaw in yourself, but where you might be soft 
And so then we can see the transformation later. So that's always a good way to start if you want to just do your origin story in a very concise way. So that's one type of story. So that might be one place to start. But another place to start and even more fun is, you know, what story do you tell if you're sitting around with your friends? What, what's the story that comes to mind? And then you tell that story to somebody. Again, always recording this stuff because you're going to record your story and then you're going to transpose it, write it out, and then you're going to change it a thousand times. Yes. Storytelling is an art. It is not like, um, you know, it's just just not not going to remain still. It's always going to change. So anyway, um, not the story is going to change, but the way you tell it, your choices of words keeping it brief, keeping it tight. And Details of it, right? We don't know. Right? No, we don't need to know. Only adding what we do need to know, putting timestamps in so we understand the, the time of life you're talking about, you know? So, like, if we just took the story you just told, we might just tell that same thing, but then add a few things, you know, like, um, um, you know, what to, to tell us what year you grew up, what decade you grew up, you know, or, you know, something, a music choice or something. Um, Anyway, so the point is, is you should start there. You should start by deciding what kind of story you want to tell. Maybe it's an origin story. Maybe it's a funny story. Uh, Maybe it's a survivor story. Um, And then just start, just start, just tell somebody and make sure you're recording it on your voice memo. It's right there on your phone. It's free. Do the voice memo, label it story number one, (laughs) or whatever you're going to call it. And then just go from there. And every time you, you repeat the story, you listen to it back, you've transposed it, and right off the bat, you can cut a lot of the fat away because you see what didn't matter. And, and also, by the way, when you're telling your story, you know, whoever you're telling it to, whenever they pick their head up in interest, that means they're interested. Like you look for their signs and whether they're laughing or nodding off or, you know, so pay attention to what is resonating uh, anyway, and then from there, it's just doing it over and over and over again. And that can be just you, you know, talking in the voice memo yourself or talking to somebody sitting across from you. It should, that, be, it should be conversational and there should be um, a resolution in that something happened in the end. It can't just be one night. Here's the worst story in the world. world. When somebody tells me about they took too many drugs, it's so boring. Or not, not too many drugs, but we, like I took drugs with my friends and we laughed so hard. Oh my God. It was so funny. We laughed so hard because it was just so funny. <laughs> it's like, I have learned nothing. Right. I was there. I have never been on drugs or whatever. You know, it's just a, that's a tough one to pull off. So and anyway. If yeah. And if we're talking about, and if we're talking about storytelling, that example, it's off the top of my head, it's missing conflict, right? What was the big conflict in that? So what? Nothing happened. And like you said, what's the resolution? Where were you and where did you wind up? Boring. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just a lot of ways to go. And there's a lot of great tips out there. You know, I'm not the only one with, with tips. There's a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. really talented people, um, because storytelling is you know, kind, of, kind of a bigger thing now. And so, you know, it's exciting. And what I love you said is that it's going to evolve. It's going to change over time. Uh, I started this podcast and this brand uh, a little more than a year ago. And even from that beginning, naturally, I have the opportunity to hone my story, work my story, try my story, tell my story. And it's, that's what it is. You don't just do it 
uh, on paper or in the recorder once and set it and forget it, like you said. It's yeah. an it, it's a it's it's really a living, breathing thing, and you have yeah. to get it out there as much yeah. as you can, right, to find it. Yeah, and maybe it's funny. Even if people don't think that they do it, they probably do do it. You know, like a story that you might tell at a family gathering probably changes over the years, and it kind of moves around, and it gets funnier and funnier. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about your your life, really, your journey. Uh, as I mentioned here, you part of your life you were a flight attendant, and then into the Peace Corps. And then diagnosed with cancer. Oh my goodness! Taking those three things, um, take us through that path, and let's connect some of those dots. What what led you into the a life of a, a flight attendant? Oh, uh, you know, I was a waitress. I was when I was twenty three. I was living in Pittsburgh, and I was um, college was behind me, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. My four older sisters, my brother, they had all started families, moved out to the suburbs, and I knew I didn't want that. So I was waitressing uh, at a restaurant called Tequila Junction in Pittsburgh. It was uh, the only other Mexican restaurant in Pittsburgh was Chi Chi's. And uh, they had a salmonella outbreak. Oh, boy. In their avocados. So anyway, we were the better restaurant and uh, more authentic. Uh, anyway, um, but, you know, after working there for three years and smelling like salsa, and you know, <laughs> you know, chips all the time and and margaritas, I decided, uh, I was looking through the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and I saw an ad that was, um, you know, it was it was advertising for an open house for potential US Air flight attendants. And with my college educated mind, it occurred to me, if I can waitress on the ground. Oh, yes. I can waitress in the air. Interesting. So I went to the uh, I went to the open house. There were so many people there. Oh my gosh! I had no idea it would be that competitive. And uh, anyway, um, everybody at the everybody at the open house said the same thing. Everybody said you have one minute to stand up and speak and talk about yourself. And based on that minute, they would decide whether they wanted to interview you further. Wow! You know, because there was like 150 people there. Hmm. So you had one minute to stand up and talk, and everybody would stand up and say the same thing. You know, like. I love people. I love to travel. I yeah. love people. You know, I love yeah. to travel. And it was just, I could see the interviewers like cringing because I was thinking, what are you talking about? This isn't, this isn't, you know, it's not about you. It's a customer service job, like waitressing. So finally, when it was my turn, I stood up and I said, you know, I don't like people, but I know how to deal with them. And like, they practically started applauding. Anyway, I got chosen, so. Isn't uh, that amazing? So you took yeah. the opposite, uh, perhaps more truthful approach for you. You're yeah. like, I don't like people, but I know the whole environment and I know how to make them happy and what's going to get. That's wow. And Who cares if you like to travel? What are you talking about? You're working, you know, anyway. So wow. um, I ended up doing that job for over seven years. You were a flight attendant for seven years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was good, you know. I was in my 20s, and it was a good time. It was before 9-11, so sure. it was a, a much more relaxed time in the air. You know, it wasn't nearly as, you know, yeah. there wasn't the security. There wasn't the, uh, you know, something I, I never t tell anybody this, but it's true. I should write this down. Um, when 9-11 when happened, and they said, 
and and it was all coming down that you know these were terrorists in my mind i said i'll bet you they went through boston because the security in boston was so lax the entire time i was a flight attendant it was unbelievable as a, as a crew member we didn't even go through security we went through no security we also went through no security in las vegas isn't that uh, funny in uh, vegas they drive us right onto the tarmac i think they maybe, maybe they still do hmm. anyway um wow yeah, they drove us in Vegas. They would drive us straight to the airplane, right through onto the airport property. So you yeah. were a flight attendant, what, in the 90s? Yeah, 90, uh, 89 to 96. What did, you, what did you learn about yourself and the world around you from that experience? Everybody's the same, you know? Everybody's the same. <laughs> Everybody wants the same stuff, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, where you're from, your culture, your heritage. Everybody wants to be comfortable. (laughs) Nobody wants to have a hassle. Like, it's, you know, we're all so basically the same. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. And um, so take us back. That's all I learned. I mean, I traveled extensively. I went a lot of cool places and stuff, you know, so... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, I didn't mean to say that negatively. Oh, no, of course. I got it. That made that made sense. Um, take us back. I know you painted the picture a little bit earlier about your, your upbringing, but take us back to the very beginning. What was life like for you as a young child growing up in that environment? You're the youngest of six. What was it like growing up? Well, we grew up in a really kind of a rural community. I mean, it was a suburb, but it was also kind of rural because there were no sidewalks and there were no um, street lights. So it was just like yard after yard after yard, you know, a lot of green, uh, a lot of small brick homes. And, uh, you know, it was crowded. My house was crowded because our house was really very, very small, very small. It's still very small, maybe a thousand square feet. I mean, it's small. Mm. And there's eight people. So, like, I didn't have a bedroom until I was 12. Maybe, no, I think I might have been 11. Where'd you sleep? I slept on the couch in the, with my sister in the living room. My parents. <laughs> I laugh so hard now because it's like, it is so antiquated. But, but, but a lot of people live in different situations. I mean, in other cultures. I mean, et cetera. But the point is, when I grew up, <laughs> my uh, parents would carry us into their bedroom when it was time to go to bed at eight o'clock. And me and my sister would lay on their bed at, at, at eight o'clock, you know, and go to sleep, giggle, laugh, read books, go to sleep at eight o'clock. And I would, we would hear our parents in the next room watching TV. And then the news would come on. So, well, I mean, I usually go to sleep, but sometimes I'd wake up and here's when I would wake up when I would hear my dad uh, Johnny Carson would come on, right? So, you know, and then I'd hear my dad removing the sofa cushions from the sofa, two big cushions, and then pulling out the, the pull-out couch because it creaked, mm. you know, like, bonk, and then open it up, bonk, and then, pull, you know, lay out the sheets and the blankets. And while he was watching Johnny Carson, and then I'd hear him laugh, I'd hear the audience laugh, I'd hear my dad laugh, I'd hear the audience laugh, 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 laugh. Then he'd go to a break, the band would start up, and my dad would hit the button on the Zenith TV, and you'd hear that, you know, there was that sound that went down the little, little dot. Yes. And then they'd come back to the bedroom, and then they'd carry me and my sister out to the couch, because that's where we slept. Because there there's, you know, too many people, man. Six kids in four bedrooms. Was it, um, 
Was it chaotic? I don't remember it chaotic. I remember it a lot of fun, really. When I was quite young, uh, I really liked having all the people around. I liked playing games. I liked watching TV with my siblings. We all went swimming together. We did a lot of swimming, um, played out in the yard, rode bikes, a lot of riding bikes, playing hide and go seek. You know, um, great Halloweens, great Christmases, great Easter's, great Thanksgiving. So really, it was very sweet. It was a very idyllic childhood. So, so you oh, felt... I mean, in terms of like seeing all this, I didn't personally get a lot of attention, but I don't know if I really needed it when I was super young because I did have my siblings. Hmm. It's just that then everybody started leaving, you know, because <laughs> they go to college and then they go away one at a time. And then my dad left the family when I was 15. So that was kind of like my break, you know. When you were 15, uh, what does that mean? That uh, they got a divorce? Yeah, then they ended up getting divorced. Yeah, and then it was just me and my mom. So we went from eight to two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sad. It was sad. What did you, how, how do you process that? What do you make of that? You smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> Look at you nodding. I, I'm with you. Yeah, I get it. You, you know, you use your tools, you know. I mean, what do you mean? What did I do then? I mean, as a teenager or as anybody, you adapt. You do what you have to do, you know. And for you, it was discovering weed as the way. Well, smoking weed, a lot of boyfriends, no interest in school, cheated a tremendous amount in school, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Get by, you know, just get by. I knew that. So I feel that. I, I'm proud of myself in terms of like, I knew just get out of college, man. And then you'll be free to but do was, what? Anything or I, something I didn't specific? Just anything. Yeah. It is true. I mean, I still, I don't know any right now about that. I mean, if I would want my child to go, but at that time mm -hmm. it was important to go to college just to have it under your belt. Uh, and I never used it or anything, but if I hadn't had it, I would not have become a flight attendant because they only took people with college degrees. And then I wouldn't certainly never gone to the Peace Corps because most people even have masters to go to the Peace Corps. So, you know, I wouldn't have had those opportunities. So I'm just saying, I think that it was a good idea to get through. So I was that, I was smart enough to know that. So I give myself credit for getting through four years and graduating when I was 21. How did you go from seven years in the air to a life in the Peace Corps? It was really fun being a flight attendant and flying and doing all these things and traveling. And I had a lot of different boyfriends and went on a lot of trips. But it was also like really a vapid life because there's no, um, you know. Consistency? No, the job itself is just endless. It's repetitive. You're, no, you're not important to the company, at least where I was, because it's based on seniority. So mm. you can shittiest flight attendant or the best flight attendant and it wouldn't matter coarsely if you were with somebody who was of a higher you know um uh seniority it was so it's just dumb there was no there's no there was no ending to it it's not like oh and then you're going to be the pilot <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic imagine if that was the case I'm right, right but it's so true what a wonderful that way that's a good no i'm going to write that down too yeah and yeah, and this is being recorded, so you can go back and notate yeah. it. That's jokes. good. I got two jokes out of you, Josh. Good. Well, cool. I'm 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 here to serve, Christy. Mm. Two jokes. Wow. What's the other one? The one we talked about earlier, um, which I'm already forgetting, which sucks. I'm looking at my notes. Hey, again, this is recorded for your I'm benefit. Go back. There was something yeah. else. You right. right. It's not like you're going to be the pilot. I love it. Okay. So uh, so there you are. And uh, and then what? So then you just made the uh, the judgment like I, I got to find something else. Um, to do? 
Okay, well, okay. Also, at the time, I was uh, doing some volunteer work at this animal shelter in Pittsburgh. I did it for like four years. And at first, I would just go in and pet the, pet, pet the dogs and cats and, you know, take the dogs on walks. And I noticed there was a hospice next door. And so I had the idea to take the animals over to the hospice to visit with the patients. And so I started doing that. And it was so heartbreaking. Mm. But it was also very peaceful because... The, uh, you know, the patients would hold these gentle animals in their arms and they would be at peace. They would feel peace. And I love that feeling. And I realized I don't really want to serve people as a, as a waitress or a flight attendant. I would like to help people. Do you know what I mean? And the whole peace thing was resonating. And, you know, I had known somebody that went to the Peace Corps and I just thought, you know what, that's what I want. I'm going to go to the Peace Corps. I would like, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to try for that, you know, and I've always liked to challenge it's the toughest job you'll ever love. I was all about tough jobs. Uh, and so I went to the, I went to an interview, not an interview, but I went to like a, an information session with this girl at the University of Pittsburgh. She was a recruiter. And I realized I had absolutely no skills to be in the Peace Corps. I knew nothing. I, did, I wasn't in construction or I wasn't a healthcare worker. I didn't know anything about computers or animal husbandry like I had no skills I was so bummed out and then the girl said to me um but Christine you speak English mm-hmm. yes I do I do I speak it good I mean well I speak it well anyway I ended up getting uh, certified to teach English as a second language and then I volunteered for about six months teaching you know, people English and anyway, so it's a whole, and then after about a year, and then I had like three different interviews with the Peace Corps. One of them was in the World Trade Center at the time, uh, a very low floor. I believe it was floor 24 or something, very low. Interesting. Anyway, um, uh, then I, after about a year, they accepted me. It took a long time and I finally got in and uh, I resigned as a flight attendant. I didn't want to resign. I wanted to take a leave of absence, but they wouldn't give it to me. Mm. So I resigned and then I went to the Peace Corps. They send you, uh, you know, uh, I said, they sent me to the kingdom of Tonga. <laughs> Why? You're looking at me like with a blank face. Where well, cause I'm right. Gary? Yeah. I'm Where trying to figure. Yeah. Who is it? Judge Gary. Do you know? No, that's, that's what that blank stare was going through my Rolodex. Like, do I know, do I know what she's saying? Do you, do you have any ideas? No. Come on. Say it again. Kingdom, it's a kingdom of Tonga. Is it in Africa? Uh, no. Oh. I thought it was too when they first told me. Oh, good. That's Togo, you're thinking of Togo. Oh, yeah. It's uh, in the South Pacific. It's a, a set of islands, 170 oh. islands, just oh. south of Fiji, north of New Zealand, just, just east of the International Dateline, or just west of the International Dateline. Hmm. Uh, only about a hundred thousand people live there. It's uh, you know, it's there's not a lot of people there. And where I was being sent to an outer island to a village called Otea, there was only sixty-seven people. <laughs> so yeah. So today you are you're this performer, entertainer, creative, media personality. What's that? Hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, including um, uh. Two years on the air at USA Network? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was great. How did you get there? I'm sorry, what? 
How did you get there? Oh, I was just had an audition and they liked me and I had a call back and they liked me and then they chose me. So before that though, your flight attendant, Peace Corps, nothing yet in that story is leading you to oh, a, a personality. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in the Peace Corps, I was only there for uh, just over two months and I got very, very, very ill. I got very, very sick. Uh, this is part of my show, Surviving the Ride. I have a I have a solo show called Surviving the Ride. And uh, the solo show, about an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, you can find more out at christineblackburn.com. Uh, but my solo show takes you on this journey from, like I've been telling you these stories from uh, the ages of 23 to 31. And so at this point in the journey, we've seen me as a flight attendant, then I've been in the Peace Corps. And while I was in the Peace Corps, I got very, very ill one night. Uh, I had a terrible pain in my back. I was delirious, sweating. Something was very, very wrong. Mm-mm. I didn't know I didn't know what to do. Uh, the lady I was living with at the time, uh, she put she came in with some cold rags and put them on my head. I was kind of going in and out of consciousness. It was the day after Christmas, nineteen ninety six. And uh, anyway, um, the woman started chanting over me. She was saying, Palangi Puke, Evului Ulu, Palangi Puke. And what she was saying, and I knew because I knew a little bit of Tongan, she was saying that the foreigner is sick. The devil's in your stomach. That's what she was saying to me. And the next day I went to the hospital in Tonga and... uh, (laughs) They did a very quick examination. There was only two doctors in the country and one of them did a quick examination and determined that he wanted to take out my appendix. And at first I thought, okay, but then I realized he wasn't even wearing shoes. There was no running water at the hospital. You know, this isn't going to be a good plan. Wow. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I gave my urine sample in a dirty coffee cup. You know, (laughs) so anyway, um, I, I... I kept going in and out of fever and I was uh, just finally the Peace Corps decided that the, the director of the Peace Corps uh, said I needed to get medevaced out of there, you know, to find out what was wrong. And so they sent me to Hawaii, the closest state, and they did a CAT scan there and they found a hard mass tumor in my kidney. Mm. Yes, it was very dramatic, very dramatic. And, uh, I spent some time in Hawaii, then flew to, uh, just because they couldn't fly me out. It was so, cr- I don't know why. And I, especially I'd just been in the airline. I'd never seen anything like this, but they, they couldn't get me out of there for a couple of days. Anyway, um, so I ended up being in Hawaii for like six days. And uh, anyway, um, they flew me to Washington, D.C. And they did a radical nephrectomy and took my kidney out. You want to see my scar, Josh? No, I'm not going to say. <laughs> I, yeah. But, so then I had to go through chemotherapy and, um, you know, it was just a whole thing. And so the year 1996, I was really ill for about seven months that year. It was a bad year, but I got through it and um, I wanted to go back to Tonga. I thought I was going back to Tonga, but uh, it turned out I couldn't go back until I was five years cancer free because I would need CAT scans, et cetera, for several, you know. Yeah. And the hospital didn't have water. They're not going to have it. Anyway, so you had to be cancer-free. And uh, so I went back to the airline, and they said, no. Sorry. Bye-bye. Thanks for working with us. Like, they wouldn't. I was like, I just want to be reinstated where I was left off. I, I resigned to go to the Peace Corps. Then I got cancer, you know. Give me a break. I was flight attendant of the month one year. 
or one month, one month out of 9,000 flight attendants, like, come on. And they would not take me back, which ended up being a good thing because like I said, it, it was a good job for a while, but it wears thin and you don't grow. You just exist. Yeah. That, that very difficult time in Tonga. Am I saying it right? Yeah, that that very scary, difficult time. What what in the world were you thinking? Did you think that oh my god, this is this is this is my demise? This is how it's all going to end? Or did you say no, you know what? I'm, I never this, thought that. I never thought that. I just thought like this is bananas, man. This is this makes no sense. When they sent me to Hawaii, I thought, well, I'm going to pick up a prescription for something, you know antibiotic and I'll be right back. I had a big list of all these things I was taking back to my friends, including sunglasses and candy and guitar strings. You know, I'm running around Honolulu trying to get stuff for my friends. And I'm like, oh no, no, you're really sick. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I am a runner. I am a vegetarian. I, I do everything right. Like, what are you talking about? But this, this cancer I had was called an adult Wilms tumor. It's quite rare, quite rare. Like, it, like at that point, they, the, the protocol they followed was from a study of only 27 patients ever wow. having adult Wilms tumor. So just super rare. They don't know where it came from. Was it latent since childhood? They don't know. So anyway, it's just a very bizarre. But it's quite survivable if it's caught early, and mine was stage mm. one. Stage so. One. So you tried going back to the airline. They said, thanks, but no thanks. And now you weren't going back to Tonga for at least five years. So you're now in the predicament of, what do I do? Exactly. And? And so it was just kind of like, I, I, I had done some stand-up comedy um, before that. And when I was going through chemo, I did stand-up. And uh, I would wear these wigs in between acts. I would be the host and I would wear different wigs. Nobody would catch on till the very end when I take my wig off completely. Anyway. Um, and so I'd done stand up, and I just always dreamed about coming to Los Angeles, you know, the comedy capital of the world. I've always dreamed about it, but I thought it wasn't possible. I thought there's no way I can't afford it. And it's just so ethereal. I, I come to LA many times. I dated a guy that here and stuff. I've been here. I've slept many overnights here, but I just was so daunting. Uh, but then out of the blue, I, I got a check um, from the insurance company. You get paid if you lose an organ. It's called a loss of organ check. Oh boy. So I found out. Yeah. It's the silver lining of almost dying. So I found out I was going to get $48,000, $1,200 a month for three years. That's what I was getting. And so with that money, uh, I just started thinking about my life and where I'd been and what I'd already survived. And I just decided that, like, you know, if I can, you know, if I can do some of the things I've already done, you know, including, uh, you know, be a waitress serving chimichangas. If I can be a waitress in the sky. I, I had some near, you know, a couple of near accidents. Uh, if I can live in Tonga you know, and go to the bathroom in a, you know, in a, in a co cockroach laden latrine, if I can survive all that. And then so far I even survived cancer. It was like, I can take on Los Angeles. And what's the wor worst thing that's going to happen? Are they going to reject me? What? I love <laughs> I mean, that. It just doesn't matter because his life is just so short, you know, 
you know, it sounds so redundant to say that, but it's so true. It really is. I mean, you just never know. You just never know. So you went to Los Angeles, pursued your standard. I had no hair. Yeah, I had no hair. And so I couldn't even get pictures taken or anything. When Uh, was this? In the early 2000s? No, 97. Oh, there's still 97. Wow. Okay. My my anniversary is coming up August 17th. August 17th is my anniversary. Uh, 22 years. Hmm. So you uh, went out there, pursued comedy. Yeah, I couldn't even take pictures. So I was doing a lot of stand-up comedy and stuff. And I just kind of stayed with that. And then I started uh, getting some commercials. Uh, You know, and so it just evolves. It changes. I I always wanted to be an actress. But boy, I'll tell you, there's some talented people out here, man. I mean, really talented people. (laughs) And I felt like I could be more competitive you know, in a hosting in a hosting realm or like in a commercial realm. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. So uh, you're now, um, like you said, almost twenty, almost well, over twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty-two. Yeah. Twenty-two years. You're 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 active. You've got a podcast that has been going for nine years. Yes. Story Who even baby. Yeah. So, so in 2010, you started this podcast when, I mean, people are just still catching on to the, I know. I know. To the it was genre. Like Jimmy Pardo, he's like the godfather of podcasts. He started his in 2006. It's still going strong. In fact, I'm doing it today in 15 minutes. I have to go. I got to go in 10 minutes. But anyway, um, yeah. Jimmy Pardo, Never Not Funny. This is his show. Wow. And uh, then, um, then Mark Maron, of course, started, you know, WTF. And then Adam Carolla um, also started his show. Adam Carolla was specifically really an impetus for me to start my show because I just loved Adam so much. And I, I heard him on terrestrial radio for so long. And then um, him switch over to podcasting. And uh, that really clicked with me that it made it doable. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I've always mm-hmm. been pretty tech savvy. So that was one part of the equation. And then the other part of the equation is at the time I was doing a lot of storytelling with the moth, which is a, you know, uh, the moth is a huge nonprofit organization out of New York. They began in 1997, um, going for a long time. Basically what the moth is, is they they do gigs in different cities and you know what it is, Josh, the moth. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So it's storytelling and mm-hmm. they go up and they tell true five minute stories and then they're out. Uh, and I would go to these and I would tell stories and there weren't as many people. Now I went to the moth last week. There were like 40 names in the hat and it costs like 15 bucks to get in. I'm like, you're out of your mind, man. You're out of your mind. Anyway, oh, no. yeah. then there was, weren't as many people and, uh, and, uh, you get called, you go up anyway. So, but what would happen is I'd be watching these storytellers and when they were done telling their story, they would just whisk, you know, they're gone. Okay. That was Josh Carey. And I'd be like, wait, 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 I got a question. I got a question. I got one question. I'm like chasing people after the show. Wait, wait, wait. I got one question. And I was just curious, like naturally curious. I am naturally curious. And so, um, so I would, uh, I kind of had that idea in my mind. Wait a minute. What if we tell a story and then somebody asks questions? And I was very, like I said, Adam Carolla was doing his thing and, and Mark Marin as well. And I listened to those guys all the time. And I thought, what a great idea. Rather than a long form interview, which just goes on and on. And everybody has, I'm not saying, listen, I love your show, Josh. Your show I love. But I'm just saying, if you want to, you know, a lot of times, not necessarily at my level, but when people get to certain levels, 
they've been on a lot of shows and they repeat themselves and they say the same things and it's fine, but you don't always have to hear all those details to understand Correct. somebody as we illustrated at the top of this podcast. We all know more about you than we probably ever have. And so you could tell a story and encapsulate who somebody is much quicker than all the details involved because they tell it differently and they tell it with nuances and you see it in their eyes and you feel the trend, the transformation and you see them go from one place to another place in the beginning and the middle and an end. So I love storytelling. So my idea and what I still do today after 567 shows or whatever is uh, a guest comes on my show and they bring the topic. That's the key. They bring the topic. And when you tell somebody, bring me your best story, they most often always slash always yeah. <laughs> bring a really good story. And so I let them tell that story. I bring up the topic at the front, then they tell their story. And then from there, the interview picks up and then we wrap it up and we're out in 40 minutes. That's the uh, goal. That's the goal. Absolutely perfect. So yeah. let's wrap up this show with uh, this question. What have we been saying here? What is the takeaway for the audience, for the listener? What can they do next? Life what is short. Life is short. Get off your ass, man. That's what you need to know. <laughs> Fair. Fair. If, if, you're, if you're interested in storytelling, if you're not, then don't. Who cares, man? But if you're interested in it, just sit down across from somebody, get out your voice memo thing on your phone, and tell somebody your story. When they pick up their head and they show they're interested, then boom, there's your story. That's where you should start. Don't go over, don't go over three minutes, for God's sakes. Keep it short. If you can't tell your story in three minutes, maybe it's not that great. You know what or I mean? Three minutes, is, three minutes is fine. I mean, then it can be extended five yeah. minutes, 10 minutes, but yeah. just start at three minutes. Give yourself a break. You don't need to tell a huge story. Just start something small. Aren't we all inherently storytellers? I guess. I mean, I guess. See, that's another difference with the moth, though. Like the moth, they say that. They say everybody has a story. But I say, can everybody tell it well? No. True. A lot of people listen to our president. He says very, 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 very. Look at Look at that. Look at the family crest. It's very, 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 very amazing and completely big, bigly yeah. and large. Yeah. It's and a skill. He, he has no vocabulary. Right. So it takes some time. It takes some time to establish your story. It's an art. It's going to change. But you have to, it, it takes some time. So it's not, it's not an easy thing to, to formulate a good story. Perfect. I think it's worthwhile. I do. Absolutely. I will leave you with this final question. Christine Blackburn, how would you like to be remembered? Um, okay, let's think. Oh, boy, big question. Hang on. Never stop trying. That's one thing. Never stop trying. And um, shit, Josh, you're killing me. Uh, never stop trying. Never stop trying. And uh, weed is a miracle plant. And it needs to be taken more seriously. There. I'll buy it. I love it. I love you, Christine. I feel like we could talk for hours and days. I'm glad we're connected. Hopefully this is the start of a beautiful friendship. I want to thank you for coming on, spending your time. You have so much good to share. Thank you for sharing it, Christine. All right. And thank you everybody for tuning in. We're going to have another great episode, not too far behind until we do. Thanks for tuning in. Go get them. 
Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.